0: Good morning. Uh, over the the last couple of days, uh, several of us from this community and from uh, Echo Church and Vineyard Central and the Calvary Missionary have met together here in this space to talk about prayer and to spend some time praying together. And so um, we, we've prayed together here in this room. We took some time yesterday and prayer walked the campus. Um, and it was really um, a beautiful time. We were especially focused on. Uh, praying for mission. Um, what is it uh, that we're supposed to be praying as we go on mission? Because we are, as Christians, we're people on a mission. We're not just people who are supposed to sit around, um, but we're people who are supposed to be doing something, right? Uh, we are on um, mission, according to the scriptures, to take the good news of the gospel, that there is freedom and salvation uh, from God through Jesus Christ in us and, and uh, through his Spirit in us, because of what Jesus has done on the cross by his death and his resurrection. and So as people on mission, uh, sometimes that can be a daunting thing. Uh, Sometimes we may not know where to start with that. And so we wanted to spend some time in prayer because we, uh, as we talked over the last couple of days, uh, came to understand that prayer really undergirds mission, that prayer is the formation uh, for the things that we want to accomplish, the things that we want to do in the world. And today we want to continue that conversation a little bit and talk about Prayer. Uh, Jesus, in his life as given to us in the Gospels, spends more time praying than he does doing almost anything else, Um, at at least of the things that we're told about. Jesus is constantly going and praying. Uh, Sometimes he goes and prays by himself, sometimes he goes and prays with his disciples, sometimes he prays publicly, but Jesus is. Praying all of the time, and a church that is more like Jesus, I believe, will be a church at prayer. A, a church that is more like Jesus, a people who are becoming more like Jesus, will be a people who are intentionally devoting more and more of their time to prayer. And so, I want to take a look at um, one particular prayer today. Not that that this prayer is the end-all, be-all of prayers. I, I'm not. I don't. I don't really get behind that. Um, there are any number of prayers in the Bible. They are all good prayers. They are all wonderful prayers. They can all be templates for us, uh, but I get really nervous when a single prayer is held up and be like, hey, you have to pray this prayer. I don't know if you remember uh, several years ago, there was the prayer of Jabez, and there were books written about it, and plaques that you could buy at Hobby Lobbies and all this stuff, and, and I, I had one, and and it was, it was the prayer, right, that was supposed to change your life, and, and uh, I, I don't know that that's really a thing. I mean, If there is a prayer in the Bible that you really, really want to pray and and really want to make a part of your life, Jesus gave us one that's pretty good, right? Uh, We call it the Lord's Prayer. Um, Today I want to look at a prayer from the early church. This is a prayer that they prayed on a fairly specific occasion, but there are some things in it I think that are worth our time and worth our attention. It is in Acts chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, feel free to turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter around verse 32, uh, or 23, I'm sorry, around verse 23, uh, and uh, it'll be up on the wall behind me as well. Before we get to reading that passage, though, just some, um, just some background. Uh, this is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is after Pentecost, uh, Peter and the apostles have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've gone out. They've proclaimed the good news. People have come and responded. 3,000 have been baptized. Uh, the church is off. It's rocking and rolling. Things are happening. And Peter and John and the other apostles continue to go to the temple courts daily and to pray there and to proclaim the name of Jesus there. Um, and and that is not an uncommon thing for teachers to go to the temple courts, and for people in Israel to go to the temple courts, especially in Jerusalem, to go to the temple courts on a regular basis and talk about the scriptures and talk about matters of the day and talk about what God's will is, and and so on and so forth. One day, as Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray, a a, uh, a lame man uh, asks for money, and instead of giving him money, they give him the use of his legs back, which, as you might guess, causes quite a stir in the temple courts. And so lots of people gather around to see what is going on, and Peter and uh, John launch into a sermon about how Jesus has done this and um, who Jesus is. This attracts the attention of the religious leaders of the day who are not crazy about what's happening, and uh, they pull Peter and John aside and say, hey, we want to talk to you guys. However, because it's late in the day, uh, we don't have time to talk to you right now. So we are going to invite you to spend the night in some jail cells, and we'll talk to you in the morning, which is, you know, just super hospitable of them. Uh, So they toss Peter and John into jail. The next day, they bring them out and say, what are you guys doing? You can't do this. Uh, Peter and John proclaim the good news of Jesus to them, um, and uh, they have words. They tell you "You guys, cannot do this anymore, and eventually they let them go. And this is where we pick up our story. All right. So Pentecost has happened. The church is growing. Peter and John are proclaiming the good news. People are being healed. Lives are being changed. The religious leaders aren't super happy about it. And action. Here's where we go. This is Acts chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 23. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them, it is you who said by your Holy Spirit through our ancestor David your servant. Why did the Gentiles rage, and the peoples imagine in vain? Uh, peoples imagine vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord, and against His Messiah, for. In this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal And signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Uh, This is one of my favorite prayers in the scripture, uh, partly because of what happens after it. I I don't know about you, I haven't been in a whole lot of places where uh, I've been in a worship service and all of a sudden the building shakes. Put enough junior hires in an auditorium and it happens. Um, but other than that, uh, I've not had this experience. But it's, it's just such a striking, attention grabbing uh, piece of scripture for the early church. It's one of the first things we're told about the early church is that, is that after this confrontation between the religious leaders and Peter and John, they gather together and they pray. And so I want to take a look at this prayer and see what it has to say for us uh, today. Now, um, What I'm about to do is a little bit foolish and a little bit dangerous, and I'll explain that in a couple of minutes. Just keep that in the back of your heads. Um, If I don't tell you why, please remind me. Um, But uh, let's take a look at this prayer real quick. Actually, before we get into the prayer, the first thing that happens, John, can you go back to the first slide, please, of that? Um, The very first thing that happens, when they're released, they went to their friends. Um, In many translations, it's they gathered with their people to pray. And so when we think about prayer, especially as we think about a church that's becoming more like Jesus, when we think about prayer in that context, we have to ask the question, who are we gathering with? Who are our people? So I want to ask you that question. You don't have to respond, but I want you to think about this. When it's time to pray, who are your people? Who do you gather with? Who are the people that, that you say, you know what, I've, when, it's, when it's time, when, when things get rough, uh, when, when, when the night is long and dark, who is it that I pray with? Do you have those people? Sometimes, um, sometimes in my life, I'm not sure that I would have been able to answer that question. There were moments in my life where I, I wasn't sure who those people were. Maybe, maybe that's you today. I don't know. But if it is, let me suggest to you that you need people. You need your people who will pray with you, who will come alongside you, who will uplift you, who will stand shoulder to shoulder with you. Meg uh, talked uh, just a few minutes ago. She said that, that the staff on Thursday, or on Tuesdays, Thursdays, on Tuesdays gets together uh, for staff meeting, and we spend a chunk of that meeting in prayer, Meg, Shannon, Kara, and myself. And, and I got to tell you, I love that group of of prayer those are my people we pray together on a regular basis and there are very few Tuesdays at the end of that where I don't have to wipe away tears from my eyes because uh, we have spent time in prayer for each other and for you there's another group here in the church um, uh, that we pray together Sarah and Noemi and Jane and I we meet once a month and we pray mostly for you um and We enjoy doing that. By the way, if, you, if there's ever anything you want to be prayed for, let us know. We would love to pray for you. Uh, there are other groups who are my people when I need prayer. My wife and I, we are a people who pray together. I've got a group of friends back in Michigan where I come from um, that when something happens, we call each other up. I got a text this week from a friend. It's like, I've, I've got something going on. Tomorrow, could you pray? Absolutely. Who are your people? You need them. A lot of times we think of prayer as a solitary exercise, and certainly sometimes it can be. Jesus suggests that sometimes it is proper for us to even go into our closets, to hide ourselves away in order to spend time in prayer. But on other occasions, it is appropriate for us to gather together with our people in order to spend time in prayer in order to be encouraged, in order to be strengthened, in order to be uplifted by people who will come alongside us, who will pray alongside us, they got together with their friends. They gathered with their people. And what did they do when they did that? They lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord. This is a terrible translation. Almost every translation in English says, Sovereign Lord that is not what the word is there. Uh, The word that's there in Greek is not the normal word for Lord that we find throughout the New Testament. It is a different word for Lord. It's the word actually that we get the English word despot from. It's the word master. The church gathers and they place themselves under the authority of Jesus. Jesus they declare that he is master. Later on in this prayer, we'll see the word servant. That's not the word servant. It's the word slave. We tend to translate that word as servant in English because that concept makes us very uncomfortable. But the early church placed themselves in a master-slave relationship with, with the Lord. They said, you have all authority. We don't have any authority. And so they gathered together and they placed God in a place of ultimate authority. You are master. You created the air, the land, the sea, and all that is in them. They remembered who God is. And I think a lot of times when we come to prayer, we have a tendency to rush past that to the things that we are concerned about. And when it comes time to pray, whether it's by ourselves or with our people, there is worth and value in taking a moment to pause and to remind ourselves who God is is he is the master. He's the one that has authority. He's the one that gets to decide how things go. Sovereign God, you created everything. And by your Holy Spirit, you said through your servant David, our ancestor, there's a whole lot of grammar that's going on in that verse. And then they begin to quote scripture. They, they quote from the Psalms, why do the nations rage and the ple- people plot in vain? Or, or why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? Uh, not only do they recognize who God is, but their prayers are fueled by their knowledge of the Bible. I don't know about you, but that is not necessarily true for me. I, I honestly don't spend a huge amount of time in prayer thinking about Scripture or reciting Scripture in prayer. And honestly, I think that that's probably a problem I have to deal with. I think that that's something that that I need to reckon with in my own life. Why isn't the Scripture a bigger part of my prayer life? And so I want to challenge me, and I want to invite you into this, if this is true for you, Um, We need to spend more time in the Scripture, treating the Scripture as fuel for our connection with God, not just intellectually, but in our prayer life as well. And and so maybe we need to spend some time in the Psalms like like the early Christians did, looking into the Psalms to see where I can connect with God, maybe even praying the Psalms like they do here in this passage. Maybe there are some other places in the Old Testament and the New Testament that that we can actually take and, and and turn into our prayers. Not just the ones that are that are supposed to be prayers, but maybe there are some other places where God says something. I've got a friend um, named Jerry Paul. He was uh, president of Great Lakes Christian College when I was a student there. And it's very common for him on Facebook to post a verse of scripture and then find a thing to pray from that scripture. So today I am reading whatever it is, and I am praying whatever that goes along with that verse. But scripture needs to be a part of our prayer life if we're going to become a church that's more like Jesus. Because without that, what our prayer life turns into is just kind of meandering anywhere that we want it to. Instead of coming to focus on the things that are important to God. It's not that God doesn't want to hear about the things that are important to us. He absolutely does, but there needs to be a sense, especially when we are together in community where we are focused not just on ourselves, but on the things of God. You said through your spirit by your servant, David, still focused on God. God is master and here's what he has said. We recognize that. And so, having done that, they move on to actually the content of the prayer, the request that they make. John, would you go to the next slide? Um, They they begin this request by acknowledging the reality in front of them. In this city, in fact, here is what has happened. Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the Israelites all got together, and this is what they did to Jesus— and now, Lord, look at their threats. Even still, this is happening. They re- acknowledge the reality of the situation in front of them. I'm going I'm to pause real quick right now. It would be very, very, very easy for us to look at these verses and say, oh, you see, the government hates Christians. It always has hated Christians. Jesus, overthrow the government. We need a Christian government. That is not what is happening in this verse, all right? Everybody tracking with me? Nowhere, nowhere does this group of Christians say, hey, we need better leaders than Pontius Pilate and Herod. In fact, we need some Christian leaders, God. Why don't you, why don't you get James and John in there, all right? The, the sons of thunder, I'll bet they can handle it. Nowhere does that happen. But they do acknowledge the reality in front of them. They say, this is the world that we're living in. And it's okay to do that. It's okay to acknowledge before God the hurdles and the hardships that are in front of us that must be overcome. It's right to do that. God, this is the thing that I'm facing. God, this is the thing that I see happening. God, this, as we gather together, this is our goal and these are the hurdles that we'll have to overcome, we think, to make that happen. They acknowledge the reality in front of them. And then they make their request, and their request is amazing to me because after acknowledging that Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the Jewish people, they've done all these things and they're still threatening them, I would assume that the next word out of their mouth, that their request would be, God, make it stop. God, give us relief from all of our hardships. I would assume this, (laughs) I would assume this because it is what I pray maybe you do too. God, give me relief from all of my hardships. We are so used to being comfortable in our society that that's what we have decided to ask God for, is more of that. But what do they ask God for? They say, God, grant your servants to speak your word with all what? Boldness. God, since it's hard, make us equal to the task. Don't make the task easier. That's not what they prayed. They said the task is hard. Make us equal to the task. If this is the thing that we're called to do, God, then we believe that you can empower and equip us to do the thing. So we are going to ask you to do the thing that we believe you can do. We're going to ask you to do the thing that we trust you want to do. We're going to ask you to do the thing that you've already told us you want to do so that we can go be your people on mission, so that we can be a church more like Jesus. God, give us boldness. By the way, they don't just pray that they will be able to do something Grant it to your servants to speak with all boldness. But they believe that God has a part in this activity as well. They know they have a part. We're supposed to speak. But they also believe that God has a part. There's some things that God can do that they can't. And there's some stuff that God can do that we can't, right? And so they say, while you stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders the name of your holy servant Jesus there's some stuff we can do God there's some stuff that's beyond us so would you make us equal to do the part that we're supposed to do and then God would you do the thing that you're supposed to do the church recognizes that they are in partnership with God not as equals remember master slave right But they recognize that God has invited them alongside of him and they recognize that there is something they are called to do and they recognize that all of their efforts by themselves will not be enough. So God, give us boldness to do the thing you've called us to do and then God, you take care of the things that we cannot do. And that's their prayer. That's how they prayed. They gathered together. They acknowledged who God was. They prayed in the scripture. They recognized the situation in front of them. They made their request not to make things easy, but to make themselves bold, and they ask God to join in their activity. This is their prayer. And then having prayed that, the place where they were standing, the place where they were praying is shaken. I don't know what that means. I'm not 100% sure I want to know what that means. That's not true. I really do. I really do want to know what that means. I really, I, I, I want to be in a prayer service where, where the room is shaken at the end of it. Every time I've read this story, I'm like, I've never, that's never happened to me, God. You know what? That's never happened to most people. In the entire New Testament, this happens twice, where somebody prays and a room is shaken. Happens right here. It happens to Paul and Silas in prison. That's it. The rest of the time, their prayer services are very much like our prayer services. No sign of shaking the building is given. But another sign is... Because shaking the building is not the only sign that is given here. When when they had prayed, the place where they were standing was shaken. And what else happened? They were filled with the Spirit and they went out and they started to do the thing they'd asked God for the power to do. They believed that God was going to answer their prayer. They believed but God was going to grant them boldness to do that thing. And so they started to go out and do it. And as it turns out, um, after a brief detour in Scripture with the story of of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5, around about verse 13 or so, we find that that happens. Peter and John, the apostles, continue to speak the word with boldness and people are healed and miracles are done in the name of Jesus. God answers their prayer. Because they come to him together and they pray it and then they go out and begin to live it. I don't know about you, but, but I don't think that praying for something and then waiting to see whether or not it happens is worthwhile. Instead, we, maybe we, if we're going to be a church that's more like Jesus, become a people who pray and then go out and act on our prayers. Expecting God to show up. Now, Here's the foolish danger of what I just did. I told you that that I was going to do something foolish and dangerous. Here it is. I have exegeted a passage of scripture, which is what I'm supposed to do as a preacher, and explained what is going on in these verses. But as I have done that, I have taken a beautiful, powerful, majestic prayer, and I have reduced it to its mechanical constituent parts. That's foolish and dangerous because prayer is not the sum of taking a whole bunch of parts and putting them together in the right order in order to get God to do something for us. So having gone through all of that, do not hear me say that if you just pray these things in this way, your prayers will be successful. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that if we're going to be a church that is more like Jesus, we need to be a people who are devoted to prayer. And here's a way that the early church did that. Maybe we can learn from them. So, having looked at this prayer, let me ask you again, who are your people? Who are you praying with on a regular basis? Who are you gathering with to pray daily, weekly, monthly, Who are the people, when things go bad, that you automatically know you can reach out to, no questions asked, and they will pray? Who are the things that when you're celebrating, um, that those people will celebrate with you and give thanks to God together in prayer? Who are your people? If you don't have them, find them. If you don't know where to start, come and talk to me. I will be one of those people for you. I would love to do that. Jane and Noemi and Sarah would love to do that. Any number of people in this room would love to do that. So if you don't have a people to pray with come and find one of us. We would love to be that people. But find yourself a people to pray with and then pray. Don't just talk about prayer. Don't just study prayer but pray. Pray in the spirit. Come before God acknowledging who he is and who we are. The things that he's called us to do and pray. May we be a people of prayer, and because we are, may we be fueled to go out and do the things that God has in store for us. Would you please pray with me now? Our Father, Holy God, creator of heaven and earth and all that is in them. We come before you, and we acknowledge that you and you alone are God, that you have all authority, and we do not. Father, you have called us to be conformed to the image of your Son, to be more and more like Jesus, to walk more in step with him, and to share his good news with the world. So, Father, um, we come and we acknowledge the call that you have given us. We come and we acknowledge that that is not always an easy call. In fact, your son said that we would have to pick up our cross and die to ourselves in order to make that happen. And that sounds hard. So Father, would you make us brave and would you make us bold and would you help us be able to do hard things through the power of your Holy Spirit? And Father, would you go before us tilling the soil and paving the way so that as we go out with the good news, we would find people who are receptive to hearing the name of Jesus and whose name we pray along with the Spirit's power. Amen.